Hey friends, this episode of The Fellow on Call is not meant to be used for medical advice and is intended for educational purposes only. Patient information has been modified to ensure privacy. The views expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers. Enjoy! Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Fellow on Call, the Hemong Podcast. We're coming at you live from Rillo University Medical Center. I'm Ronak. I'm Vivek. And I'm Dan. And we certainly have a good one for you all today. Um, it's the first episode in our HemePath series. Now, HemePath sounds kind of scary, and honestly, it is kind of scary. There's a lot of tests, and so it's just honestly really, really confusing. Yeah, I don't really know if I understood it until about six months into fellowship. It was one of those nebulous things that nobody really even talks about either. I still break out into a little bit of a sweat when I see a page just filled with all these genetic rearrangements and, and things on a fish report. Like, I, I'm running for up to date almost every time still. <laughs> um, and so I think, uh, I think you all agree, and I think, I hope that our listeners agree that this is a lot of really important information. And so we thought, why not turn it into a series? We'll break it down over the next few episodes so that we can get into the details of the information that's so important to the work that we do every single day. So buckle in, buckle down, and I hope you enjoy the first of our uh, our series on HemePath. Hey guys, how's everyone doing? Doing good, yeah. man. Doing good. I'm all right. Yeah, been better. <laughs> Dan, what's wrong? Oh, uh, no. I think it's Dan's mic stand. That that's really the big problem right now. Isn't that it? that might have been weighing on my mind a little. Um, <laughs> he he bought the cheap you, mic stand. Yeah, if you pick up the, a really nice microphone, make sure you 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 go in on a good stand. <laughs> this thing is heavy. I have a scant stand that weighs about half as much, and it is it's giving me fits today. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not great. Um, well, hopefully that won't be too much of an issue, but I but I do definitely need your help. So bear with me. As you know. It's first year, call's been pretty brutal, and I got a page the other night that I think gave me nightmares the rest of the evening. Not because the topic was hard or what to do with that information was hard, but the information just kind of went in one ear and out the other, and I'm talking hemepath. I'm talking, I got a page from a hemepath fellow to discuss lab results on a patient that came back, and he started using words like flow cytometry and cytogenetics and like, I think I know what that means, but when someone talks about it really fast and kind of just throws all these letters and numbers at me, did I freeze up? And so I was hoping maybe if you guys are okay with it, we can talk about that a little bit today. Oh, yeah. 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 Cool. And, you know, I I think the first thing, the first part of this that that he he started breaking down the information for was was flow cytometry. And I, and I remember learning about flow cytometry from a very basic science perspective, but I just, uh, you know, can we just like go over that? And can we talk a little bit about that? How do we use it? What do we do? You know, how does it help us really figure out what's going on here? I'm so glad you asked this question and that we're talking about this because, you know, when I was a med student, when I was a resident and a fellow, and you're on these malignant heme rotations, you're on any rotation where there's abnormal blood count, somebody sends a flow cytometry, and I n- truly never understood what it meant. So I'm going to give a 50,000-foot overview perspective right now, and then I'm going to have Dan kind of take over and talk about exactly how to run the test. So what is flow cytometry? Flow cytometry is good for assessing 
phenotypic changes on a cell or phenotypic markers on a cell. And what that means is we all learned in medical school that uh, T-cells are CD4 and CD8 cells, things like that. And each of these cell surface markers basically is like the cell's hair color. It it gives it its phenotype and tells you what type of cell it is based on uh, a series and patterns of these cell surface markers. So what flow cytometry is doing is telling you which cell surface markers are expressed by whatever you're looking at. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that's right. And so, you know, this test, it it's usually run on live cells, especially in the clinical side. You know, in, in research, you can flow pretty much anything that'll get sucked up by the machine. But uh, on the clinical side of things, we really are doing this test on live cells. We're staining them with fluorescently labeled antibodies, usually just in a in a test tube. And then this machine sucks them up into a, into a really fine, narrow stream in a fluid and runs them cell by cell past a series of lasers that can kind of detect what antibodies are stuck on what cells. And in that way, you're able to actually count every single cell and quantify how much it's expressing each of these markers. Now, modern-day flow cytometers, we're talking, you know, 11-plus colors at once on a single cell. So you can really do some remarkable stuff with, these, uh, with this testing. That's, that's pretty cool. And, and so, so what is the, what is the basis for how that works, Dan? Like, is, what is the mechanism by which the, I guess it's a computer that's able to pick up the differences? Absolutely. Yeah. So what you end up with is, um, basically any level of flow cytometer will always give you a couple values right off the bat. And when we're talking about values, this is something it's measuring on each and every cell that passes past the laser. You get forward scatter and side scatter. And so those two things basically are just how much is the object scattering light that's passing through. So your forward scatter basically tells you kind of how big the cell or object passing past the laser is. Um, the larger the side, the larger the forward scatter, the larger the object. And similarly, a side scatter tells you a lot about the content. The more stuff there is inside of a cell or object passing in front of that cytometer, the more side scatter, the more light's going to bounce off to the side. So those two parameters right away can tell you if there are certain populations of cells that are morphologically similar. If you want to go beyond that, it involves staining the cells in some way or another. Um, Most of the time, this is done with fluorescently labeled antibodies, which are the same as your immune protein antibodies, but specific to certain markers on the outside of the cell. These are our cluster differentiation or CD proteins that we talked about. And Those are labeled with separate colors that are able to be detected by specific detectors inside the machine when they're hit by a specific frequency of of, or wavelength of light. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's basically a computer then calculates how much light is coming off each cell in each frequency. And it uses sort of input from us to say, well, this color means this surface marker or this color means this surface marker. Got it. And uh, and it puts out a report and kind of tells you what's what. Got it. Got it. So, so what, what you're describing. So I'm thinking about this. Maybe the good way to think about kind of the things that, you know, the questions I'm going to be asking today is like back in middle school, we used to learn about things like, at least I think it was middle school phenotypes and genotypes. We had, you know, those terminologies. And I, I wrestled with this quite a bit at the time. And eventually I got it that a genotype was the genetic makeup, whereas a phenotype is more of what the expression is. So a flow cytometry is basically us looking at the phenotype of the cell. Is that is that an accurate statement? That's absolutely right. And the thing that's so powerful about it is you're getting that phenotype on a cell-to-cell basis, and then the machine can put out these diagrams that are basically 
show you those populations where cells distribute themselves. So, you know, there can be a cluster of cells that all have the same abnormal collection of markers on the outside of them. That usually means something significant uh, from a medical side. And and so so this is this sounds really cool from a again from a basic science perspective, and we've definitely learned about this. But can we talk a little bit about how we use this in a in a clinical setting and why it's important to decision making that we do? Yeah, and y- you know the big thing about why we do flow cytometry in a clinical setting for the vast majority of times, and and this is a true principle for anybody looking at malignant hematology, is to establish clonality. What I mean by that is if you have a cancer, and particularly when we're thinking about blood cancers or hematologic malignancies, generally speaking, you have a clonal population of cells, meaning some cell got cancerous and it just replicated itself like crazy, and that's your clusters of clonal populations of cells. So what flow cytometry can do for you is you can say, well, let's say that I think that this patient has a a B cell lymphoma, like some sort of lymphoma, and we know that some B cells are commonly associated with lymphomas, then what what flow cytometry can do is say that certain CD markers, and this is going to sound like alphabet soup, but I'm just going to just say three three different CD markers. If it's CD5 positive, if it doesn't have CD10, and if it has CD19, that tells you a certain diagnosis, for example. And so, so a pattern of these phenotypic markers, these cell surface markers, these CD markers, you can kind of just correlate it to tell you what the diagnosis is. And if you truly had a cancer, you would expect that all of the cells are expressing all of the same things and that these things that are being expressed are abnormal. So normally a B cell wouldn't express all of these things, but a cancerous B cell would. Got it. Got it. Okay. So that certainly makes a lot of sense. And so basically, it can kind of give you uh, what sounds like maybe a quicker roadmap of what you're dealing with. But, you know, it certainly sounds like it's not the full story, correct? I, I, it sounds like it gives you guidance about, you know, things to consider and, and differentials that you can maybe move higher on your list or lower on your list, but it's definitely not a slam dunk. Is that safe to say? Yeah, it's definitely a, a piece of the larger puzzle, but it's an important piece because you can look at multiple cell surface markers simultaneously, as Dan was describing with flow cytometry technique. So you can, you can say that this cell is expressing these three to four to five markers or something like that. And you can correlate that to a diagnosis and help narrow your differential diagnosis. Yeah. And there are some specific use cases for it as well that can give you a pretty cut and dried answer. And that, that's when, you know, if you're looking at somebody who's been treated for leukemia, for example, and you just want to see if you can find any tiny little fraction of remaining cancer cells, the so-called minimal residual disease, uh, that, that quantification can happen really easily with flow cytometry where it would take a pathologist, you know, years to count through 10,000 cells to try and find a single cancer cell. And the other is, is PNH. That's another example that comes to mind. So paroxysmal nocturnal, nocturnal hemoglobinuria is famously characterized by the absence of a specific marker on red cells. So that's an answer we can get right away with flow cytometry. And just really quickly, I mean, you know, it's, it's very easy just to order all of these things blindly, but are there any guidelines about uh, recommendations of, of certain situations where doing flow cytometry is indicated and maybe even certain situations where it's really not recommended that we use flow cytometry? Yeah, you know, there's there are guidelines, but 
with any guideline, it's really important to understand why you're ordering the tests and how to interpret that and really what your differential diagnosis is. So so one thing that's linked in our show notes here today is going to be the Bethesda guidelines, international guidelines on when to order flow cytometry. There's also a really good ASH review article that we're going to put in here that also talks about uses of flow cytometry. Some of the things that you'll see in these guidelines that talks about, and I'll go through these stepwise. So one of the things that talks about is cytopenia. So especially bicytopenia, meaning two cell lines down, or pancytopenia, three cell lines down. You'll hear us talk about in future episodes the differential diagnosis for two cell lines down, three cell lines down. But bottom line is this. If you just sent flow cytometry in that situation, you may not pick up anything. It may be that that you won't pick up anything because you don't have an abnormal population of cells that's in the peripheral blood. It may be in the bone marrow, for example. So a flow cytometry of a bone marrow, it's always useful. You need to do flow cytometry of the bone marrow. But in the peripheral blood, if you looked at your peripheral smear, for example, in that pancytopenia case and didn't see any abnormal cells, the chances that you're going to pick up something on flow cytometry is very low. You want to think about alternative causes first. It's it's one of those second to third pass workups that you think about as a hematologist, not something that you want to order right off the bat for anybody that has two cell lines or three cell lines down. Got it. Okay. Another thing they talk about is high white counts. Um, so a high white count, as we know, can be caused by a billion different things. And this is where your differential really matters. So the CBC with diff, we always talk about that. I remember in med school and even residency, I'm like, when do I get a diff and when do I not get a diff? Mm-hmm. Um, a, a diff is it gives you a ton of information, particularly if you got a regular CBC and you see a high white count, you need to know what the diff is because the diff tells you which white blood cells are high. So the specific situations that you really think about flow cytometry are high lymphocytes, because that could be something like a CLL picture. So high lymphocyte count is abnormal, and and you may pick up something like CLL if you run flow cytometry. CLL cells express a specific pattern of CD markers that you would pick up. So that's how that could be helpful. Increased monocytes. So if you ever look at a diff, you, you will rarely see monocytosis. Not a common thing to see. So it's one of those red flag triggers in the hematologist's head, especially if a patient's having any symptoms of things like fever, night sweats, fatigue, weight loss, the, the things that give you these, these warning signs. That's another time that you'd want to order flow cytometry because it can tell you, is there some cancerous process going on in the background? What, what CD markers are those monocytes expressing? Are they abnormal or not? High eosinophilia is another one. So if you're if you have a high white count and you have a ton of eosinophils, flow cytometry can help you not to tell you that an eosinophil is an eosinophil because you know that's totally useless to say that hey that's an, there's a bunch of eosinophils there. But the flow cytometry can do can tell you if there is a again we I'm going to reiterate this point is there a clonal population meaning a cell that went abnormal and cloned itself causing an eosinophilia. And we see that in things like T-cell lymphomas and T-cell leukemias. That can be a cause of, of, a, of an eosinophilia. There's, there's fancy names for that, like lymphocyte variant eosinophilia and things like that that are out of the scope for what we're talking about now. But the, but the point is, flow cytometry will help you not say this is an eosinophil, but tell you, is there an abnormal T-cell population? 
is there a clonal population going on? So when you're thinking about ordering flow cytometry, and I'm specifically talking about the peripheral blood, you really have to make sure that you're trying to identify an abnormal cell. So something like high neutrophils, not going to help you because you're just going to say there's a ton of neutrophils bouncing around. But it's only when you think that you have a high, for example, like again, reiterating the lymphocytes where you think the lymphocytes are abnormal and you want to establish that the lymphocytes are a clonal process or a cancerous process. Yeah. You know, whenever I'm thinking about one of these more advanced tests, I always like to ask myself, like, what does this test tell me that the other things we do can't tell us? And, you know, when we're looking at like cell differentials or even looking at a smear, my favorite thing in the world to do, right? Looking at smears. Very true. Um, <laughs> you can't, uh, you, you just can't tell a B cell from a T cell. I don't care what people tell you. I, I'm sure there's some folks out there that think they can, and I, they are incorrect. They, you just can't. And so, you know, when you're looking at populations of cells, this monocyte example is a great one. In, in acute myelomonocytic leukemia, it can be really difficult to tell morphologically what's a mono, uh, and what's a blast equivalent or like a, you know, an immature monocyte. And so, uh, flow cytometry really gets down to that molecular level of detail where you're characterizing the molecular phenotype in, in a way that you just can't do visually. And that's, that's really where I see a big role for it. Got it. That makes sense. And Dan, I'm really glad that you brought up the fact that morphology alone doesn't really tell you what a cell is, that you need more testing, that this flow cytometry helps you confirm things. One of the most important things to know in the peripheral blood, whenever you see blasts, that rings the alarm bell. Man, there is there an acute leukemia going on? But how exactly are they reporting that blast? Well, the tech or the pathologist looks at the peripheral smear, and they say, this cell looks like a blast. But you don't really know whether it's a blast or not unless you run the flow cytometry. So, for example, you might have a myeloblast, and it has our odds, and you said, ah, this is likely a myeloblast, but... You run the flow cytometry and you're actually wrong because cancer doesn't follow the rules. So flow cytometry tells you what type of blast there is based on a characteristic set of pattern of CD markers or other protein expression on the surface of the cell that tells you, is this a myeloblast? Is this a lymphoblast? Or is it mixed? Does it have both features of a myeloblast and a lymphoblast? So running the flow cytometry on the peripheral blood is incredibly important particularly in the circumstance where you have blasts on noted on the peripheral smear. So essentially, you know, just to kind of bring this all together, this is like when we learned about genotypes and phenotypes. And so the flow cytometry is essentially allowing us to figure out what is the phenotype? What is the outward expression of a lot of these of these cells that allows us to kind of quickly identify, you know, abnormalities and help us sort through a differential in terms of allowing us to figure out what's more likely, what's less likely, and based on the expression of certain proteins on the cell surface. Does that sound okay? Yeah, yeah, that, that was beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Thank and, you. And I'm learning. Per, per yeah. usual, Ronak brings it together uh, <laughs> and, 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 and summarizes it. Taking um, us home. Good. Yeah, t- taking us home. But there, th- there was a couple more things I wanted to mention with flow. We talked. I talked a lot about the peripheral blood flow cytometry, uh-huh. and, and as you can tell, that you know you're not always going to find a cancerous population. It's not perfect. The times that you like your peripheral blood flow could be totally normal. Meaning, like what Dan said is you have a wide range of cells that you would expect to have, and there's no abnormal clonal population, and you're still wondering why do I have pancytopenia or why are my counts so low. That's how running flow on the bone marrow biopsy is always helpful. So unlike the peripheral blood where you may miss it, 
that flow in the bone marrow biopsy, if you've got an abnormal population, that flow will will be very, very helpful in identifying that. Whether it's an abnormal plasma cell population for things like multiple myeloma, um, whether it's an abnormal B cell population, if you're worried about some sort of B cell malignancy or abnormal T cell population, really in the bone marrow, the flow is very, very important in establishing clones. And the second thing is anytime, and I hope a surgeon's listening to this, anytime there, or, or an internal medicine resident, this is important. Anytime you're getting an excisional lymph node biopsy or some sort of biopsy of a lymph node, you want to flow that because you want to see are, what, what lives in lymph nodes, B cells and T cells, right? You want to see, is there a clonal population of T cells, like a T cell lymphoma, or is there a clonal population of B cells telling you you have a B cell lymphoma? And, and that pattern of CD markers tells you which subtype of lymphoma you might have. So you always want, when you're doing a lymph node biopsy, always keep in mind that you want to run the flow, um, after that. And that, and I think Dan said something about a suspension, um, yeah, yeah, basically, you know, it doesn't. Uh, you you can run anything in a flow cytometer. The the flow text might get super mad at you, but <laughs> if it can go in suspension, it can go in a flow. When we're talking about clinical application, it has to be live cells. Um, doesn't matter where they come from, and hematologic cells are usually already in suspension. So that's part of the reason why it's been so widely adopted in hemolignancies. Got it. Got it. Okay. So takeaway from that part is that when you are getting samples of of tissue in these situations, you essentially need to go into the procedure with the knowledge in the back of your mind that you're going to send this for flow because you don't want to, you know, get the sample, fix it, and then realize, well, whoops, I messed up. I, I, you know, at that point, it's a point of no return. Does that sound correct? Yeah, you can't unscramble that egg. You, you cannot unscramble that egg. That's absolutely right. That's very true. Okay, so you need live cells. And, you know, again, the one thing that I'm kind of taking away from all of this is while it's extremely helpful, it still is only one piece of a bigger puzzle, right? It's only giving us broad guidance about which way to further investigate what's what's going on. But it sounds like this isn't the end of the road and, and really that there is further workup that needs to be done, which probably explains why he didn't stop talking after the flow cytometry. There was a lot more to that discussion. Um, and I think it's starting to make sense uh, already. So... Thank you. That was extremely helpful. Yeah, that was, that was great. That was great. And I'm, I'm glad Dan could actually explain. I, that's the first time I've heard how flow works, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm glad someone's willing to listen. Most of the time, people just tune me out. <laughs> well, I think that's all about we can, uh, you know, throw at our, at our audience for tonight. But um, thanks, ag- thanks again, guys, for a great discussion. And until next time, see you all later. See you later, everybody. Yeah, peace out. Bye.